2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the church and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. We're in part two of our three-part mini-series on giving generously. Last week, based on chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, we focused on the when, how, what and why of the grace of giving. We excel in the grace of giving when we are led by the Holy Spirit. We excel in the grace of giving when we obey the Lord. We excel in the grace of giving when we give as an act of worship. We excel in the grace of giving when our giving is accompanied with prayer to multiply what we give. We excel in the grace of giving when we manage money as stewards of God according to biblical principles so that giving is our first priority. We excel in the grace of giving when we regularly and willingly give of our time, talent, and treasure for the common good. We excel in the grace of giving when our giving lifts up the name of Jesus. We excel in the grace of giving when those we give to recognize the, and experience the grace, kindness, mercy, and generosity of God, not our generosity. This morning we'll consider the preparation for giving and the administration of what is given. But I want to start out by addressing an additional question to the four questions we considered last week. 
And that fifth question is, where should we give? Not just what and how and when and why, but where should we give? Or to state that question a little bit more completely, where should the majority of our time, our talent, and our treasure go? Some of you may be familiar with Randy Alcon's book, The Treasure Principle. Uh, it is an exposition of giving as it relates to laying up treasures in heaven. I want to read to you some excerpts from another book of his, one of his other books entitled Money, Possessions, and Eternity, where he addresses the question of where to give. So this is what he says. Giving should start with your local, Bible-believing, Christ-centered church. The spiritual community where you're fed and to which you're accountable. In the New Testament, giving was not directed to the church at large, the universal church at large, the universal body of Christ, but to the church, the local Christian assembly. Even gifts that were sent to other places were given through the local church. Whereas the Old Testament temple was a storehouse, the New Testament church was a clearinghouse, a conduit of gifts to help the needy and reach the lost. Normally, I think first fruits or the tithe should go to the local church. But I don't believe in storehouse tithing if it means that a church hoards funds or spends them on frills or monuments to ego and prosperity. Free will giving beyond the tithe also can go to worthy parachurch ministries. For 14 years, I was a local church pastor, and for 12 years, I've directed a parachurch ministry. I believe that both types of ministry deserve support, but the church should always come first. That's why we give more money to our church than to our ministry. From a distance, parachurch organizations with sharp brochures and attractive spokespeople often outshine the local church where much of the giving supports mundane activities like paying the utility bills. People think, I don't want my money to pay the water or garbage bill. I want it to go 100% to evangelism. When the early Christians sold their land and houses, they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That's from Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. They didn't discern on their own where the funds should go. They entrusted them to spiritually qualified church leaders who distributed them wisely. Now, Randy Alcon has a lot more to say. Clearly, I'm just reading short excerpts. But I want to just comment on a few things that he says here uh, and then build for where we are going in our message and our focus at, at New Life. Now, uh, let me make a point of clarification. I don't believe that what the first century believers did in selling everything that they had and bringing the proceeds to the apostles, I don't believe that that is normative for us today. In fact, we don't have any reference to this being a practice in any, in any of the other churches or that it was done at any other time. This was a means for the early church to care for an incredibly large number of people who had suddenly joined the church. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost and then being added to their numbers daily. So there was an incredible need and we see that and I'll come back to that point too. But 
the point of application from Alcon's statement, Randy Alcon's statement, is more about discernment and spirit-led administration rather than, you know, saying, sell everything you have, bring it to the church. That's not the point. I'll come back to that point about church leaders distributing the funds that are received and, you know, when we come to the next things about administration. Uh, another reference that Alcon makes is to storehouse tithing. And what he's saying there, what he's referring to is based on Malachi chapter 3 verses 10 through 11, which states, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse to the temple, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Not only was God telling the children of Israel to bring their tithes to the temple so that God's provision in God's house could be distributed to the Levites and others in need, but he was also saying that this obedience in giving would prevent the devourer from stealing or destroying the produce. The best way for us to benefit from God's resources is to give it as God directs. Because when we do what he wants us to do with it, he preserves it. And he allows it to have the return that it's intended to have. Alcon also refers to giving tithes, a 10%, right? And free will offerings beyond the tithe. Now, according to the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament... The children of Israel paid the Levitical tithe, and that was where they gave 10% of the increase of their crops, fruit, and livestock to the Levites. The Levites ministered in the temple. They had no allocation of land and, and, and possessions of their own as such. And the people, as they brought of the crops and fruit and livestock, that was also meant to supply the needs of the Levites. So they had a Levitical tithe. The children of Israel were also asked to give an annual festival tithe when they gathered in Jerusalem for one of the pilgrimage festivals like Passover. And they would give at that point in time. And then they gave a tithe for the poor every third year, which was meant to feed not only the Levites, but others in need, particularly the widows and orphans in one's own city. So there was this way in which God was working in the people to take care of all the people. Remember what we talked about in terms of the equality of God, that he distributes his provisions for the benefit of all, for the benefit of the common good, for the common good. Now, if you add up all this giving, if you add up all the giving that the children of Israel were actually called to do, the rough estimate, and it's difficult to be very precise about it because we can't really make a crops, fruit, and livestock comparison to crops, fruit, and livestock you know, giving today. But if you think about what they were doing, the rough estimate is that they were giving regularly 20 to 30% of their income. Or 20 to 30% of what was coming in, they were giving that out. So, does that mean that we should be giving 20 to 30% of our income as a rule or a law? 
Is that the next sentence I'm going to say? No. No. Remember what we covered last week. Make giving a willing, not a grudging, discipline so that as a steward of God's resources, you are regularly giving what you have, not what you don't have, as the Lord directs, so that there may be equality. And as you do that, as you obey God, you may give well more than 30%. You may be giving 90% of what is coming through your hands. That is, there are examples of that. Colgate is one. There are others who, having received the resources into, of God in their hands and giving liberally, giving freely, ended up giving a whole lot more than 10, 20, 30, or f even 50%. Just gave things away, right? Gave in that way. So, that is the point that I want to make to you and the point that we need to understand about this, these principles that are in the Old Testament even as the laws but now are coming together in the cross and after the cross in even more uh, God-anointed ways, spirit-led ways. So make giving a willing discipline not a rule, not a law. Make it from the heart. Make it that way. Now, Paul talks of the administration of funds in chapter 8 and the preparation to give in chapter 9 because that's the way that he's addressing the Corinthians. For us, the sequence would be we would be preparing to give, we give, and then we administer the funds that are given. So what I want to do is take a quick look at how we prepare to give based on chapter 9 verses 1 through 5, then we'll come back to chapter 8. So, preparing to give or prepare to give. Notice what Paul says. Eagerness and enthusiasm to help must be accompanied with proper preparation. You could be eager to give. You could have a desire to give. But there's a preparation that is necessary. Last week I was talking about the fact that if you're not budgeting your money, if you're not making sure to live without debt, if you're not saving, if you're not investing, there's no preparation. Then when it gets time to give, you're not able to give. You don't know where the money is. So there's a preparation that is on the personal level. There's also the preparation that is on the collective level. The preparation must be of the heart, ensuring generosity and willingness being able to give willingly, cheerfully. And the preparation must be of the hands, ensuring the timely collection of funds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, when we were studying the book of 1 Corinthians, we saw this, this Paul's statement. He tells the Corinthians, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. What's he saying? He's saying, have a regular practice that on that first day of the week, you would bring this, take up this collection, so that when the need is announced or when there is something to be done, you're not scrambling. There's no last minute scramble and there's no you know, begrudging, oh, he's making me give. No, you have planned for it, you have prepared for it, you've done it regularly, and because the collection has been completed in advance, when he comes to receive the collection and take it over to the other place, do whatever with it, it's all done. It's prepared. It's ready. 
in the context of our local church, we take up a regular collection both in person and online for our ongoing operational expenses, online and other ministry expenses, mortgage payment, cash reserve funds, staff salaries, missionary support, and helping others. So the regular inflow of funds allows us to be prepared for ongoing and one-time outflow of funds, right? We're doing that regularly. Otherwise, we'll be caught unprepared. Once funds or resources of any kind are collected, the more important requirement is then to administer what is given. And that's where we want to turn our attention back to chapter 8. There are two broad principles of biblical administration that we can glean from chapter 8, verses 17 through 21. The church needs faithful administrators of good repute, integrity, faithfulness, who enthusiastically volunteer on their own initiative, just as Titus did, and or... There are volunteers who are volunteered, who are chosen by the church, who are seen as faithful and people of integrity that can serve in that capacity based on their service to the gospel. That's how Paul describes this other brother. He says, you know, he was chosen by the church because of his service to the gospel. Not because he was a great accountant, but because he was faithful to the Lord. And in doing that, and in being enthusiastic and willing and so on, he is added in as an administrator to help administer the funds that are given, right? To move in that regard. Now this should remind you of Acts chapter 6 where as the church grew and it grew so rapidly, they had trouble keeping up with the physical needs of feeding the orphans and the widows and taking care of all the administrative aspects. And the apostles said, instead of us waiting on tables, choose from among you those men of good repute, those men of integrity, those men of faithfulness, those men who have been serving the gospel, choose them to do this task, to administrate what is necessary. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 6 verse 3, that they picked men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. So the first general principle that we see from um, this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 17 through 21, is that the church needs faithful administrators. That's a very real need of the church all the time. Secondly, and this is very important, those administrators must seek to avoid criticism of the way they administer God's provision. There must be proper accounting of funds, transparency, there must be communication, and there must be personal accountability. Those administrators have to administer the funds according to those standards of integrity. They must be taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of all the people. So that has to happen. 
There shouldn't be anything secret. There shouldn't be anything that is not, you know, explicitly managed correctly and carefully and so on. Because the Bible is saying to us, you have to take pains to make sure that you're doing what is right before God and before people. Now, we tend to think of church administration primarily as it relates to money. But, having said this, and if you sat there thinking, okay, this is talking about somebody else. I'm not going to be one of these administrators. Well, guess what? Those who serve in any capacity in the church, whether paid or unpaid, must first and foremost give themselves to the Lord and then make sure to fulfill their responsibilities without criticism, doing what is right in everyone's eyes. So no matter what you do in the church, whether it's highly visible up front or largely unseen in the background somewhere and taking care of children in the nursery or doing whatever else you may be doing to serve, cleaning up after we have the meal together, putting away chairs, doing whatever you may be doing in the church to serve, to be responsible for the resources that have been coming into the church, each of us are accountable to both God and people for the administration of the time, the talent, and the treasure that has been given to the church. This is not just somebody else's responsibility. So when I say these things about the standards that are applicable, don't say, well, okay, we'll see how you do. Right? No, it's, it's on all of us. It's on all of us to be administrators of this kind to be people of integrity, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have the wisdom of God, to say, what is the time, talent, and treasure that's coming into our church? How am I contributing to the effective use of those resources? How am I giving into that, of course? But then, how am I part of that joint administration? How am I making sure that what we have given is used correctly? And is used for the kingdom of God. It's used for the purposes of God. It's used according to the will of God. So, all of that brings us to our point of application when we say that we have to respond and apply the word of God that we are hearing by giving regularly, willingly, and generously to the local church as led by the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay. Now, if the Lord directs you to give to an organization or individual or other church or whatever it may be, in addition to the local church that you're a part of, it may not be feasible to give that amount through this local church. Right? Earlier I read Randy Alcone's comment or statement where he said, give through your local church. And it may not be feasible to do that. Right? It may not be that we are able to distribute everything. There may be practical or legal limitations to how we as a church can give to the organization or person that you want to give to. All right? And we in the church here won't know these organizations or people that you're choosing to give to. We won't have knowledge about them. We won't, know, we won't know how to discern exactly the need or the things. We won't be able to determine all of the details of that. And you may have a good personal relationship or, a, or knowledge of what is in that organization and in that individual. And so you're saying, I'm led of the Lord to give to this organization or this person. Go ahead. 
If you're able to do that, it will be on your responsibility to continue to do that and to do it in such a way that it's God-directed, God-glorifying. So here at New Life, we're not suggesting to you that you must give 100% of your giving to us at this local church, and then we will give it to who you want to give to. No, that's not, the, that's not what we're trying to do, right? We are telling you, give directly and generously to all that the Lord, all those that the Lord leads you to give to. However, however, I do want to challenge you that you examine your heart and your hands to see whether the majority and the priority of your giving is for the local church. 100% of your giving may not come to the local church, but is the majority of your giving and is the priority of your giving to the local church in which you are planted, in which you are contributing, in which you are being accountable, in which you are connecting with those group of people. And you're saying, these are my brothers and sisters to whom, with whom I invest my time, talent, and treasure as they invest their time, talent, and treasure. And together, collectively, we are fulfilling this specific purpose of God. So is the majority and the priority of your giving to the local church? That's between you and God. That has to be an accountability that you have before God. And that's where I'd leave it at that. Now, when these funds come into our local church, what do we do? We want to invest. Well, uh, there's ongoing expenses, of course, all these things that I mentioned even before. But even going forward, we want to invest in additional AV resources, facility improvements, painting the sanctuary, paying off or significantly paying down the remaining balance on our mortgage. By the end of the current term in April 2024, we want to try to pay off as much as possible or pay down or pay it off completely. And we want to give even more to missionaries and missions work around the world. We want to increase staff salaries. So there's all sorts of things that are always there as needs. There's always these things that will remain with us. The poor will always be with us. And so we have these needs in the church. But the point that I want to make to you is that you would give as the Spirit leads with these principles and priorities in mind. From time to time, we'll take up special offerings, collections. Then on September 3rd, we'll have a guest speaker from India. And when he's here, we'll say, all right, if you want to give to the, what that ministry is and what's going on, there's a lot more to say about that and what's going on in India and so on. We'll, we'll talk about that as it gets closer to that date. But in that situation, as a, an example, we're going to take up an offering that's going to be given to our church, and through our church, we're going to give to his ministry one particular amount, a single consolidated amount. So that's just a way in which we're administering that particular giving. But my point to you is, let giving be a regular and God-directed activity. Again, as I said last week, not because of pressure, not because of obligation, not because, you know, you, you, you hear somebody saying, oh, did you give? And then, you know, you, you, for the sake of being seen or for the sake of being noticed, right, you give. Don't do that. Go give as the Lord directs you. Final statement that I'd make to you, and this is in anticipation also of next week's message on sowing and reaping and what the fruit of that or what the result of sowing and reaping is because, um, you know, that there's a whole principle there that we're going to get to 
next week, but I want to give or, or end with this statement. Our giving must be, as we were reminded last week, where we have given ourselves, first of all, to the Lord. Every part of ourselves, every desire, every ambition. Why do we hold on to funds or resources? There are two main reasons. One is out of fear and the other is out of some kind of desire. Right? We say, oh, if I don't hold on to this, I won't be able to do this, or I won't have that, or you know, what will happen? And we do certain things out of fear. And, but the second reason we do something or we hold on to resources is because we say, oh, I want to do this. I, have a, you know, I, I want to go on this trip, or I want to do this thing, or I want to buy this thing. And we hold the resources tight because we're trying to affect both those areas. Surrender all of it to the Lord. Our fears, cast them to Him. If you're saying, Lord, I don't know what will happen to my children's education. I better hold on to this money and save up for that. Cast that fear. I'm not saying don't save up for your children's education. Do so. But don't do it out of fear. And if you're saying, oh, if I only do this and I invest this, then I'll make this. Don't do it out of selfish ambition. Don't do it out of greed. Don't be motivated by anything other than what the Lord is doing in your life. So give yourself totally to the Lord first and foremost in all areas of life. So you're saying, Lord, I give myself to you. My fears, my concerns, my desires, my ambitions, I give them all to you. I lay them down at your feet. And you show me what I should do. I don't come up with a thought by random, right? Either... It is, influenced, it is influenced by my past. It is influenced by the people. It's influenced possibly by the devil. But when that thought comes, I'm, and we're going to come to 2 Corinthians 10. When that thought comes, I want to take captive that thought, give it to you, and ask you to direct my thinking. So we give ourselves, first and foremost, even as we sang this morning, we surrender everything to the Lord. As we give everything to him, he then directs our steps and says, okay, wonderful. Thank you for being faithful. Now, here's what you do with this. Here's, what you, here's where you go. Here's who you talk to. Here's how you should give. Here's how much you should give. Here's when you should give. And again, not just your money, all of yourself. If you're giving all of yourself to God, he will direct you on how you should give all of yourself in terms of other, your giving. So that's where we stand with this. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. You know, on this topic of giving, <laughs> you know, we tend to tune out. We tend not to pay as much attention. And we say, well, again, these are biblical principles. The Bible has a lot to say about giving. Jesus had a lot to say about giving. And he wanted us to understand that these would not be things that hold us, but rather that we hold loosely for his glory and his purpose. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are good to us, that you are kind to us, that you, knowing our weaknesses, our fears and our failures and our ambitions and everything else that come into our thinking, knowing all of that, you gave us principles that allow us to live in such a wonderful way, in a freeing way, rather than being obsessed about any of this or, Lord, rather than being misled by a love of money. Instead, we have this opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit to do what is right.
to do what is good. Oh, Father God, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray, Father, that you would work in each one of us, Lord, so that the needs of the church are met, but, Lord, that there will be abundance, there will be overflow, from which, Lord, we are able to do even more than what we have thought about so far. Lord God, you do that. You work in all of our lives and in our circumstances. I pray particularly for those that are, Lord, seeking you even for income. Lord, open those doors. Let them have the right engagements in their job, in business, in whatever, whatever other means you have ordained for them. Let the income be there so that their needs are taken care of. Lord, you, you said that's what you did, that no one would have too much and no one would have too little in the sense they would have what they needed. And so, Lord, we pray for that. I pray for that for the church, that every single person in the church will have what they needed. And then, Lord, as they give, Lord, as they are faithful to you, to obey you, to give, I pray that you will multiply what is given every aspect, every bit of it, so that, Lord, your kingdom is advanced and your name is glorified and that, Father, we see the fruit coming out of all of this. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are at work in this local church as you are at work in every local church that honors you and looks to you and believes in what you have said. I thank you, Lord, that together, collectively, the church universal, the church across the world, Lord God, there is a work at hand. There is a global move, Lord, to advance the kingdom of God. Let us give into that, Lord. Let us give into that work. Make us, Lord, part of that so that, Father, we just have the joy of giving, the grace of giving, and have this accountability for what we're giving. We pray all this together now in Jesus' name. Amen.